Good morning. It's great to see everyone here. Today we are launching this new series called Minor Prophets, Major Mission. And we're going to be looking at some clues in these books of the Bible that really help us as we move into the fall. So there's some uh, messages that these prophets delivered many, many years ago that have relevance for us today. And so if you see this graphic, I think it's uh, the artist who creates many of our bulletin covers and, and imagery and graphics. He really captured uh, the heart of what we're trying to focus on, which is that God spoke through these prophets to his people and used you know these men to declare a message. And so today we're going to look at the message that was declared by a prophet named Jonah. And it's a very unique story in the Bible. And I want to pray before we kind of move into the message. So would you join me in, in praying? Father, thank you for uh, bringing us here this morning. Thank you for each person here. And they matter to you. And so, Father, we pray that, that uh, just as we sing about your faithfulness, Lord, you have been so faithful. And, God, we can't help but to think of the many ways we've, ex- we've experienced your hand of care and love and support and comfort, God, through the different things that we have faced in life. And so, God... Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word, Lord, which cuts through all of life and really speaks to the core issues that you want us to focus on. So, God, we pray that you would uh, quiet the the distractions, Lord, in our minds. Lord, settle down our thoughts that wander. Help us to be able to really hear from you and zero in on uh, what you want us to do in obedience to your word this morning. Help us not to leave this place, Lord. Uh, with just more information, Lord, would you transform us, Lord, as we uh, set our heart to obey you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the Bible, here's, here's a chart that shows the breakdown of some of the different books of the Bible. And so, you see there's this category of books in the Bible known as the prophets. Okay, there are the prophets. There are the major prophets, and there are the minor prophets. And the big question comes up, how, how do you... How do you become a minor prophet? How do you become a major prophet? And you might be wondering, what is a prophet and how do you become, how do you get that title, minor or major prophet? Do you have to be really, you have to be better at this job to become a major prophet? Is it like baseball? My mind thinks baseball and is a minor prophet like a minor leaguer in baseball where if they do a good job, maybe one day they'll get drafted up into the major league prophet group? Is there something different? Does it have to do with performance? Really the, the, the prophets were divided up. It, was, it had nothing to do with how well they prophesied. It had to do with uh, the length of their message and the narrowness you know, of the scope. And so the minor prophets had a very narrow, a focused kind of scope. They were directing messages to specific groups of people. And then their message was just a briefer message. So the minor prophets had a briefer message than the major prophets. So the books of the major prophets are longer books. Okay, The minor prophet books are much shorter books. And so we're looking at, and these books are among the least popular books in the Bible. Oftentimes because of the, the, the language, even though today's uh, prophet that we're going to look at, it's very easy to follow his story. Some of the other prophets that we'll be looking at, the language that's used is it's poetry or it's prophetic language. And so sometimes we read that and we think, ah, this is a little bit difficult for me to grasp. And so it's easier just to speed along till we find something that, that jives with us. But we're going to spend some weeks looking at the minor prophets and get a heart for what was their mes- message. And 
there's some clues for us as we move towards the fall. And we're focusing in on Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in Israel in the 8th century. Uh, this was the time that he was uh, a prophet was around the middle, so around 740 B.C., 740 to 746. And, and as, as a prophet, his job was to speak his message the message that God had given given to him. He's, he's like God's delivery man, okay? Got a message. You need to deliver this message to people. Easy to track with the story because it's told in a narrative form. And so let's pick it up from the beginning of Jonah chapter 1. And it, it reads this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Okay, this was the capital city, a very, very large city. This was the ultimate pagan capital. It was about 500 miles northeast of Israel. This is situated in really modern day Iraq. And it was a city in the heart of the desert. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, get up from where you are and go, rise up and go and preach to this group of people. Okay, that is your mission, Jonah. Now, prophets, they do this. They preach, they warn, they pronounce judgment. They're God's delivery service. You know, they're they're the delivery man. That's what they do. But instead, Jonah goes rogue. Okay, instead of going and obeying, he goes rogue. And going rogue is that phrase that we use when someone is displaying some sort of a degree of independence. Okay, they're not they're not going with the direction. They're, they're running the other direction. The origin of the phrase going rogue, it, it, it's rooted in how elephants, when they're separated from their herd or when they're injured, they become dangerous. They go rogue. And so if there's a loose elephant, you know, people really are at risk when you go rogue. And in Jonah's story, it's very, it's very similar. When Jonah goes rogue, it puts other people at risk. And so look at verse 3. He's told to go to Nineveh, go to this city, and call out against it. In verse 3 it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, He goes to the nearest port city. He pays a hefty price to board a ship that is uh, destined to go far away to the west, okay? He's trying to get as far away as possible from the mission that God had given to him. God says go northeast. He gets on a ship and he goes due west. And is bound for Tarshish, okay, which is the southern tip of Spain. And so here is a, a map. And you can kind of see Joppa is the port city and it's right there off the coast of Israel. He, he gets on his boat and he's, he's like, I'm booking a ticket Far, far away. Instead of going north to Nineveh, I'm going to Tarshish. Uh, Tarshish is near Gibraltar, where where the rock of Gibraltar is this massive landmark that is right at the edge of where the Mediterranean spills out into the open Atlantic Ocean. And so in Jonah's mind, I'm I'm getting as far away as I am. This was his world. This is as far away in the world that he could envision going. He's, He's going rogue. He's on the run. And rather than obeying God's assignment, he's just thousands, he's heading, intending to head thousands of miles in the opposite direction. Why, why is that? 
What would cause Jonah to go rogue or run away? What would cause any of us to run far, far away from our assignment? For Jonah, it was that he hated the Assyrians. He hated this group of people. Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians. He hated this group of people. He did not want to see the Ninevites repent. Because these were evil, wicked people. These were brutal people who were so vicious, they would massacre their enemies, they would mutilate prisoners. When they would capture people, they would dismember them, they would decapitate and burn people alive. This was a wicked group of people. Only a few decades after this uh, encounter, the Assyrians actually conquered the northern tribes of Israel and they took them into captivity. And they basically, there was a siege that went on eventually. That only happened about two decades later from this. And so, Jonah, knowing the history of this group of people God said to go and reach out to, Jonah wanted nothing to do with them. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to turn around and, and, and be spared from judgment. And later, we find out that he knew that if he went to preach to the Ninevites, that they would, they would repent. And that would, it could bring sweeping revival across that land. And Jonah, because of his hatred towards these people, he didn't want to see that happen. He had a bitter hatred towards them. So later on in the story, in chapter 4, we're going to come up to this verse. Chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah explains later why he ran. And this is what he says to God. For I knew, he says, I knew that you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so he's just saying, I I didn't want to take this message of hope and grace to my hated enemies, to our hated enemies. He wanted God literally to wipe the Assyrians off the face of the earth. That, That was his hope. Wipe them out. Bring judgment. Now, think about this for a moment. Think about his response. This response from Jonah is not unlike... The way today, some in our world, maybe some of us, have hatred or dislike towards certain groups of people, certain types of people. There's this, there's this hatred that can form in our hearts towards those people. I don't know who those people are, but for Jonah it was the Assyrians. Maybe we have some prejudices that, that in our hearts we just, there's some, We would just like to put some distance between us and them. And so that's what is going on here. There's this conflict for him, and it starts coming out in his actions. The point I want to make in our listening guide this morning is this, is that we want to pick and choose who we love and to what extent we will obey God. This is this reality. We we want to be picky. We we get choosy on who we who are our people. Who, who we feel comfortable with. Who, who we want to relate to. Who we want to extend love to. And also, we get picky with God. God says, obey me in this way. Be specific. Walk exactly in this way. And we, eh, we get picky with that too. We, we pick and choose to what extent we want to obey God. He says, walk exactly in this way. We think, well, I'm going to... I don't know if I want to do all of that. Jonah... Clearly, he represents that here. He's getting, he's getting choosy here. He disregards God's plan. Now, I, I don't know who your Ninevites are. 
the people that you would maybe steer clear from. I'm sure we all have some people that we just want to put some distance between us and them. But who, who might this be in your life? Think about, think about that. Who, who might this be? This really reminds me of a story from, from my past. I grew up in Grover Beach. It's a city along our central coast. And the town, Grover Beach, is just to the south of Pismo Beach. And there were five cities in our region, called, we called them the five cities, or some called it the beach cities. But our house sat on the edge of the southern edge of Grover Beach. And right across the street, the neighboring town, another one of those cities, was known, this other town just south of us, was known for having kind of a rougher part. There was rougher parts of that town. There was uh, more problems there. There was a slight gang problem there. And so if there was news to report, it usually was generating from that area. And now, not all the time, but it seemed like that was the reputation it held. Now, we lived right on the edge. Okay, we were the, the, the last house, and you cross the street, and you're in this different town. And because of where my house was located, the bus stop to my junior high meant that I would have to walk a few blocks into this town and take the bus to school. So I did that, and no big deal. I often rode the bus with a friend. His name was Patrick. He lived one block over from me in, in my same town. So we would meet and we'd walk into, you know, walk to the bus stop and then we'd ride home together. And so we're riding home together one day and it's a normal day and, and we step off the bus and two guys step off the bus with us. And once the bus driver pulled away and headed around the corner, one of the guys kind of laid into me and started shoving me and he wanted to fight. And before we know it, we're fighting. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a bully. I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm not, this isn't my style. But this guy's, you know, he's swinging at me. And all of a sudden, we're rolling on the ground and fighting. My other friend is standing there. And this is the other guy's friend is standing there watching. And I, I'm just trying to, like, not get too hurt and trying to defend myself. And eventually, I don't know how long this thing went. But eventually, we hit the point of exhaustion. And boys do this. I was probably, like, 13 years old at this point, you know, you, you kind of, you fight with a friend and then he's your best friend next. Um, this, this wasn't the case with this guy, but we hit the point of exhaustion and we're not too hurt, neither one of us. And I think we both just kind of acknowledged, is this done? And we both were like, yes, this is done. And so we, we get up and I dust myself off, I grab my bags and me and my friend head up the street to get back into my town, you know, my safe zone. And, and I, it was like, my friend's like, what was that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. So we kind of concluded that maybe this guy was getting jumped into a gang or something was happening here. You know, sometimes you hear, okay, that you've got to jump, get jumped in by, you know, picking a fight with the first person you see. I don't exactly know what was going on, but all I knew is I was hurt. Uh, my pride was hurt. I was dirty, scratched up. I walk in the door and I declare to my mom, I'm never taking the bus again. Nothing but Mexicans ride that bus. I said it loud, and I said it proud. And my mom, she looked right at me, and she said, Josh, you're a Mexican. (laughs) Josh de la Rosa. (laughs) And she, and I, now this wasn't news to me. But my thoughts regarding those people, it came to the surface. It just kind of bubbled up. 
I didn't want to have anything to do. I'm not going back down that street, Mom. I'm not take, you're going to have to write. You're going to take us to school now. I'm not doing that again. Now, how, how do you pick and choose? How, we, we have these things kind of inside where we have to work through. And I'm not, I'm not proud of that story, but I certainly knew what was in operation in my heart at that point. Uh, looking back, I can see some things about you know, the way I saw life. Now, how, how do you see life? Who do you pick and choose who to relate to? Back to Jonah. Back, God was fully aware of Nineveh's sin. He was totally aware. It wasn't like Nineveh's pagan ways were unknown to God. And so Jonah running all of a sudden clued God into the problem. In a hundred years from this point in history, God would bring severe judgment upon the Assyrians. He brought severe judgment upon the Assyrians. But for this generation of people in Nineveh, at that time, God was extending an opportunity for that generation to repent. This was the time for the Assyrians to repent. And God was saying, Jonah, you go. This is why I'm sending you. But the prophet goes rogue. And now the story begins to get really interesting. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind. So he boards the ship. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea that there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the gods or the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And it says, So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, this was for ancient peoples. This was a primitive way to find something out. But God, at points, would interact through this decision making. And in, in this case, God used this method to point out that Jonah was to blame for the storm. Now verse 8 says this, Then they said to him, so they knew it was Jonah that caused this, they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told him. Verse 11 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Interesting here, if we pause for a moment. He could have maybe just pled with the sailors and said, Look, Turn the ship around. I need to go back to the port. I, I got something to do. I'm running. And maybe if he had just said, hey, let's just head back, maybe the seas would have settled down at that moment. Um, but instead, what does he do? He throw me into the throw me into the sea. Jonah would rather die than to fulfill this mission. This, this again, just goes to show how deep-rooted his hatred towards the Ninevites were. The Jews were placed in a pagan world to be a witness nation. That, that's, they were to be a light. And, and they were to be instruments useful to God to reach all people, or, you know, all the people, all the nations of the world. But instead, you know, at this point, many of the Jews really despised 
their pagan neighbors. And so Jonah embodied a spirit or a culture, a way of thinking about the unbelieving world. And you and I, you know, we can grow very callous if we're not careful that we miss God's plan as well. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. They couldn't just throw them in the, in the sea. So they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And verse 14 says, Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord. Now they cry out to the God of heaven. To our God. O Lord. Let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah hit the water and all of a sudden, the sea goes calm. You know, there, there was natural storms in the Mediterranean. This was a supernatural storm. It was normal, and you study about this region. It was normal for tropical storms, violent tropical storms to surge. This was abnormal, and everyone knew it. And then when Jonah hits the water, it was very, very clear. This was supernatural. God was doing something here. And then in verse 16, it reads this. Then the men feared the Lord, all the people on the ship. They feared God, the Lord, exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Revival breaks out on the ship. They heard Jonah's story. They connect the dots. They see God's mighty power. Who knows what may have happened to those sailors and to their offspring? Who knows who we may bump into you know, in eternity that maybe from this encounter had a major heart change. God's not done with Jonah at this point. Look at how the story goes. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the... Of all that God chooses, He uses a great fish to rescue Jonah. Uh, it's not a whale. There's actually a Hebrew word for whale, and this is not the word. And so, it's, it's a very large fish, or a great fish. God causes this fish to swallow him up and actually preserve Jonah's life. No doubt, this is an uncomfortable, painful experience. For three days, this is a cold, wet, painful experience. Imagine. Imagine if you even can, like... The stomach acid of a great fish, the tight space being confined, the extreme oceanic pressure, um, you know, when, when the fish is going into deeper parts, just imagine this experience. There's all sorts of questions that we have at this point. If you're here and you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, I, I know some of you are, and you're, you're thinking, I don't know if I can get on board with this story. I don't, I don't know if I can believe that. And others of you might be like, you know, I have committed my life to follow Christ, and I, and I believe um, most things, but this seems a little bit unbelievable now, and I, and I don't know what to do with this story. And so we've got questions that come up at this point. Again, we're not talking about something natural. We're talking about a God who works in supernatural ways. And this was a supernatural, miraculous rescue. God somehow provides this fish and protects Jonah during these three days. And, and here at OCC, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And we believe it's the supreme source of truth for Christian living. Because it's inspired by God, then we believe it is truth without any mixture of error. And so, I believe that this seemingly unbelievable story actually happened. I believe this actually happened. That Jonah was protected from inside this very large fish. And from inside this great fish, in chapter 2, begins a prayer. And if you look... If you brought a Bible with you, you can see Jonah prays from inside the belly of this fish and he starts crying out to God. 
and and you get this prayer recorded and and he's praying and praying and he's 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 calling out to God and then in verse 9 we're going to pick it up again at the end of his prayer he makes a few statements verse 9 says this the end of his prayer he says i with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what i have vowed i will pay salvation belongs to the lord he he's yielding and he's also putting he's he's declaring there's the, God is the one who saves. Save, he saved me. I'm, I'm alive. You know, Jonah, I'm in, the, I'm in this fish. I'm alive. But he holds salvation. This belongs to the Lord. The people... He, Jonah recognizes that God he's, he's powerful enough to save. And then God responds, verse 10. says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Can you imagine the scene? You're on the beach. You've got your beach towels out there. Umbrella. And you see something splashing out in the water. And you, Ooh, something's going to happen. You, you gather your, you know, your your friends, your family, and something's about to surface. What is that? And it's, it's a person come flying out of a large fish. I mean, it, if only we had GoPro cameras back then to see this thing. And just, this would have been an extremely memorable experience. But God basically says, hey, Jonah, let's try this again. Okay, let's try this again. So you come to verse three or chapter three. It says then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you." Okay, and he goes to Nineveh. Okay, verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, this is his message, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of these to the least of them. And now, even the king, okay, even the king begins to lead out. Verse 6, The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This was common when people are beginning to repent. Okay, There's a brokenness, there's an acknowledgement that they're in the wrong here. There's an acknowledgement of wrong and they're beginning this repentance. In verse 7, He issues a proclamation and publishes it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way. He's saying, look, no time to delay. We can't, we can't go and you know, take care of your errands. Maybe you had plans for the day. You wanted to eat today. This is the top priority. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, the king says. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He knew, as the king, we are in serious trouble. We are in serious trouble. And so he leads his people to repent. And he did it out of fear. He did it out of fear. There was no natural response or no, no natural reason that the Ninevites should listen to, to Jonah. This little prophet all alone from this, from this insignificant country. There's no reason. There, there were no threats to this superpower, the Assyrians. At that time... Nobody would have 
frightened this group of people. No country intimidated them. And so God gets their attention, though, in this moment through Jonah's message. And when people stop going their own way in life and they begin to go God's way and repent, then here's what happened. God gives grace and mercy to people near and far. God, God can extend this to people who seem like they're, they're so far. Well, God can extend grace and mercy. He can do that for us. He can do that for people. You, 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 you just wouldn't imagine. Maybe you're the person you think, there's no chance that God could rescue me, that God would have a plan for me. Now look at verse 10. 3.10 says this, When God saw what they did, the fact that they repented from the leader down, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Now, here's a couple of definitions for us on the back of our listening guide. First one is grace. It's a term that we, we, we may hear often in church. Grace and mercy, I want to define these in this way. Grace is, He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy is, He doesn't give us what we do deserve. God is showing grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh, to the Assyrians. This story puts on display just how different we as humans are from God. God's grace and mercy, that, those are not our native in- instincts. We struggle to extend those to others. I, I once deserved a speeding ticket. I was speeding in Virginia. I went to pass a semi and I came up behind the semi and in order to get around it, my wife was asleep at the time. This is at least 15 years ago. One of the last things she said before she went to sleep was, please don't get a ticket. And... <laughs> And we're driving, and, and it's because the year prior I had gotten a ticket at Christmas time, I think, in Pasadena, and it was... I had a reason. I always have a reason. Don't, don't you have a reason? And um, so this reason was I came up to a semi and I needed to get around it. And so I, I punch it in the rental car, and I, and I come up along the semi, and I'm about to just, you know, come around it and, and drop my speed to, you know, it's a 55 highway heading south out of the D.C. area. And right as I'm along... Side of the semi, to the left of me, crouched in some bushes, was a state trooper. And uh, he lit me up, and I pull off, and my wife is, um, you know, awoken by the sirens and the lights. <laughs> and I believe there were some tears at this point, and uh, the state trooper comes up, and he asked me for my license and registration. We go through all that, and, and he said, do you know how fast you were going? I said, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> and he said, well... You were going, you know, 81 or 80 or 81 in a 55 zone. And he said, I don't don't know what they do in California. But here in the great state of Virginia, we enforce a speed limit. So he walked back to his car. He comes back eventually and he says, you know, I'm going to give you a ticket. I'm citing you for reckless driving. This could be up to $1,500 fine and up to a year in jail. You're going to need to see a local, uh, a, a local judge at a local courthouse in our district. Or what, and I'm like, what? I'm on vacation and this is ruining my vacation. I'm thinking I'm going to jail. I don't know. We don't have the $1,500. And so eventually we get back to uh, her parent or her grandparents' uh, home, call the courthouse, and they looked up the ticket and they said, this is a few days later, so oh, it'll be about less than $200 for this ticket. You'll get it in the mail. You don't need to go to court. Like, what was he? She's like, I don't know, but, you know, uh, you don't need to see an official. Her grand, my, my wife's grandfather comes over to, to us with uh, 
more money. It's like three hundred dollars. Gives me money, and he basically says, "He's here." And I learned a lot about grace and mercy in that moment because I deserved the ticket. I deserved it. I deserved to pay the fine, and and I, I certainly didn't get what I deserved there. He gave me something. There was grace there extended. And if you've messed up in your life, which I know you have, and I've got plenty in my in my life, and uh, I, I need to be reminded that this is God is kind. He's gracious. He's merciful. And now Jonah, he he didn't he wasn't excited about this side of God. The Ninevites did not, in his mind, deserve to be spared. And Jonah would rather be angry than excited that they begin to repent. So he gets angry. Jonah gets angry. This was going to be an ongoing lesson for Jonah. God wasn't through. Now, staying on mission means a few things. As we wrap up, number one, if we're going to stay the course and stay on mission with what's on God's heart, we need to keep battling the urge that comes up to pick and choose whom we love. Got to keep battling that urge. It will come back up. Just after the people of Nineveh repent and the Lord doesn't bring judgment on them, Jonah decides to throw a pity party. Okay, he was angry, the scripture says, that God spared them. He thought they deserved to be punished. And this is what he says in verse 2. Okay, it says that, verse 1, it says he was angry. Verse 2 says, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Basically, Jonah is saying, I knew you would do this. I knew it. I didn't want to go because I knew who you were. I knew you would spare this people. And I didn't want to see that happen. He would rather see them be destroyed than, than to see them repent. Have you, have you ever felt that way where you're, you feel like God needs to take care of the evil in this world and you have a plan? And you start telling God, God, you need to do this. This will fix the problem. This will fix it. And you think, if I was in charge, God, this is what I would do. You start praying prayers of trying to clue God in on what He needs to do to fix the world. And, or maybe some injustice is done to you and, you and you think, God needs to take care of them. I hope He does. Or you just don't feel like being very loving. And we should let Jonah's reaction be a warning to us all about how our heart can get twisted up over these things. He thought they needed to pay. And, and what was happening was Jonah's heart is just getting harder and harder and harder. But God shows us in this historical account that he loves these people. And we need to choose to show love to all people, regardless of, of how we might feel. And so another thing is, Stay on mission. We need to spend time in God's Word. If we spend time in God's Word and really hearing from God and letting His Word speak to us, correct us, challenge us, it begins to change us. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20. This prophet, this comes up almost 200 years later. Okay, This comes up after Jonah a few hundred years. He's, he's saying this of God's people, of the change that he wants to do after God's people had been punished and judged and they were held captive by the Babylonians. Ezekiel 11 says this, I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. This verse gives us a picture of how God begins to change our heart as we, He begins to give us a softer heart. And as we spend time with Him, 
our heart softens up more and more. He can mold it. He can shape it. He can remind us of things. If we spend time regularly, daily in His Word, then it, it, we need that. Otherwise, our hearts just get hardened and our opinions get stronger and our preferences kind of just keep leading us forward in life. And we have to be really careful. So it's important for us to continue to read God's Word consistently to keep a soft heart to what He wants us to say. Otherwise, we find ourselves getting hardened like Jonah is, is doing here. Finally, staying on mission means this, that we keep engaging in the lives of people around us. These are people that God loves. God has placed us to be like a witness nation of people, a group of people that God is forming and He is using to advance His kingdom purposes on the earth at this time, in this generation. And you might think, oh, the world is heading so far off track, we should just hunker down and... and barricade the walls and stay in and just be protected and happy. And God leads us to engage in the world. In a broken world where there's much division, where there's much hatred, where there's a lot of strife. Why is that? Well, look at verse 11. Actually, before we get to verse 11, just listen as I read what Jonah does. Verse 5. It's not up on the screen, but I'll just read it out of the text here. Jonah went out of the city because he's angry. Verse 3 actually says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, he says. He's so angry that they repented. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. It's almost like he crawls up on this hill, and he's just watching. Maybe God will, maybe God will bring the fire now. Maybe the judgment will come. He, please, God. He wants to see what's going to happen to the city. Is God really going to spare this group of people? Verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Pretty emotional here, right? He's really angry. Now he's really glad because of that plant. But when dawn came, this plant's like his new best friend, you know. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Here he's angry and ready to just end it all again. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for that plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And then key verse, verse 11. We'll close. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God shows how to love in this situation. He bears with the people of Nineveh instead of choosing to bring destruction he brings grace and mercy. And he says, this is what's on my heart. These people, these precious people. He says, there's 120,000 of them who don't know the right hand from the left. Many people, they look at this, they think that's a reference not to the total population, but that's a reference to just the children. Children don't know the right hand from the left. And, 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 they're, you know, and so many, especially the, kind of the archaeological digs, show that the size of the city and what they've uncovered would have been that this city would have had about 600,000 people. A very, very large group of people. And God's saying, I know those people. I love those people. I'm reaching out. At this time, for this generation, and, and through, through this message, 
giving them opportunity to repent. I love them. They matter to me. But for us, it's very, very easy to get hard-hearted against people. Our hearts can harden towards those people, whoever those people are. Whether it be they have different political beliefs than we do, and it's, it's just, it bothers us. Or, or maybe it's they have personality traits that just don't mesh well with us. Or maybe they have different values, or you know, the, the way they do life, or their, their core identity, or there's just certain things that we just... We just think, I cannot relate to them. They, the way they spend their money, the way that they raise their kids, and the list can go on. Just on and on. What is it that, that it is in our lives that prevent us from really loving and caring for people that matter to God? Deep down, many times it's our preferences. It's our preferences that keep us from loving people like God does. And it's, it's a heart that is... So often, it's, it's prideful. When my, my, my prideful heart, my selfish heart, if I don't keep yielding that and asking God to soften that, then I, I can withdraw from people. And so God, He's using you know, Jonah to tell this group of people to repent of their wicked ways. And there's a role God wants us to play to actually step into our world and keep engaging with with the people that God loves that are there. We need to do that in our areas of influence. We need to love people, all people, so that they can get a glimpse of what God's love is like. We need to communicate His truths, the truth that Christ died on the cross for our sins and that He's made a way for them to have a new life. If they'll repent of their sin and commit their life to follow Him as the boss, as the Lord, they can get a, they get a whole new life, a fresh start. There's hope. And so God wants our words and our actions to really point people to, to Him. And He's given us a mission to be on for the rest of our lives. And that's our hope as a church, is that we would be a part of that in this area, in this community. And so, uh, you know, I, we're so glad you're here. There's some next steps we want to encourage you to consider. If you pull out uh, the, or flip to the back of that listening guide, these are also on your connection card. But the first one is just a way to practically apply some of the things that we've looked at this morning. One is to pray for so-and-so. And invite them to, to this or that thing. So to pray for blank and invite them to blank. Are there people God has put in your life right now that you can invite over to your, over to your house? Maybe it's a neighbor. I want to invite them to dinner. Or I want to invite them to, to get some food. Or I want them to invite them to a sporting event. Or, or it's, it's this person that I want to invite to church or a church event. Maybe God has put someone in your mind or, or, or that you've been kind of pulling back from. Maybe you just need to have a conversation. Get to know someone. Second, to read and really reread the book of Jonah. As we walk through this quickly, I would encourage you to reread this on your own. Go at a slower pace and begin to ask God to see if there's anything He wants to tweak and change in our hearts. And then third, if you're here and you sense, I, I really want to investigate how to begin a relationship with God, then if you mark that, then we will follow up with you. If you put that on your connection card, we'll follow up with you. We'd love to clarify what the Bible says it means to become a Christian. And so we'll have a conversation with you. We'll give you some resources. And at your own pace, allow you to uh, work through that process. We'd love to help you uh, take that step. And so let's pray. And then we'll sing another song. Father, we thank you for this time that we've looked in your word. Thank you for the story that you used to cause us to evaluate the way we do life, the way we look at people, the way we relate to others, the way we steward our time God it's very easy to just get comfortable in this life and relate to people who do life like we 
like we do and to make that the bulk of our our focus and our time our priority and miss the mission that you have to reach the world around us so God would you help nudge us towards people that you want us to reach out to help us to be wise and strategic Lord help us to team together well to reach out Lord help us to thank you that we don't have to do this alone but that we can work together with friends with others here that that want to partner to team to share your love with others. So God, help us to be strategic and wise. We ask you to move more hearts, Lord, in our circles of influence, causing people to yield themselves to you, just as we see happening here in the Ninevites. Thank you, Lord, that this gives us hope for our city, for our state, for our nation, for the world around us, Lord, that we can be involved in you fulfilling your purposes, Lord. And so would you use us, God? We ask for your help and strength in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.